Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. Teddy Roosevelt once said, To educate a man in mind and not in morals is to educate a menace to society. And that begs the question, where do morals come from? How do they develop? And are morals part of our DNA? But before we get into that, Nick, how you doing and what are you drinking? I'm doing great. Just happy to be warm and dry, drinking some spiked coffee. I'm joining you too with some Irish coffee, and I am also very happy to be warm and dried. So Nick, morals, where did they come from? How did I, it, to me, it's so puzzling how humans develop morals. So to me, it kind of seems like we develop morals coming from our intergatherer societies and develop morals as a way to govern ourselves in our societies that would allow all of us to survive. It's just so weird to me because for evolutionary, it's self-preservation. I mean, there are tons of animals in the wild that will even sacrifice their young to stay alive so that they can breed again. It's it's so weird how we develop morality to fit in more with the tribe, to be more functionality. I understand its importance, but to actually get to the point where we have it, boy, that's a that puzzles my head. Yeah, and it is crazy that all these different cultures across the world at one point or another, we we all developed our own morality, which even if it's different from each other in certain aspects, but there's generally like a common basis somewhere. And that combined with a few other things, I tend to believe that morality came from things that we would do that would keep us safe from other predators, people within our own community, stuff like that. I definitely agree with our own community. And before we get any further, I would like to read the definition of morality. Morality being a set of personal or social standards for good or bad behavior and character. I think that's very important, personal and social standards. Like you mentioned, Nick, like you said, with uh, fitting in with the society, I think that's the biggest aspect. I don't see morals protecting us from predators, but I could be wrong. No, I mean, it, it would you'd be... I guess, chewed out for like doing certain things that would attract predators, maybe like not like putting, you know, scraps in a certain place or something around the camp. But I was thinking kind of like disgust, maybe not predators is the right term, but people are disgusted by rotting animal carcasses or, you know, the smell of rotting meat. And that same disgust, aversion to that rotting meat is the same thing that you have for like a certain other people get the same reaction to like certain mushrooms or something like that, that, that people know is, will cause harm, I guess, not like a prey, prey, predator relationship, but something that would affect the community negatively. So like keep having a bunch of rotting carcasses around, which spread disease. So like smaller predators, but predators nonetheless. Or develop traits like, Hey, don't take more than 
your portion. Don't steal. Because if you're part of a pact and one member is hoarding or taking more than they deserve, I imagine the rest of the pack's going to exile or kill that member. Yeah, I imagine so. Because that, that one person could completely jeopardize the entire pack. That you know, so it's important that everyone and and people, I'm sure, realize that. But morals now is something that I would say we definitely need not that we don't need it now but say is more important then because it was actually like a life or death situation in many cases oh yes absolutely it's also since we're talking about evolutionary morals still i do find it fascinating how majority of animals in the animal kingdom don't have morals you can make the argument for some of them having some type of morality uh, but I would just say that's a hierarchy. Uh, from what I could tell, the species that have morals are primary mammals and what we would quote as intelligent animals, uh, mammals. Dolphins, whales, chimpanzees. Um, some could make the argument for wolves, but I would make the argument that that's still a hierarchy. Elephants definitely have some sort of morality, which is weird how the intelligent quote-unquote creatures all have some sort of morality yeah and i think that's all those creatures you named they're not uh they all live in some kind of community whether i don't know what you call a collection all the names for different animals it's like a pod of whales and pod of dolphins what's a group of chimpanzees an army right yeah i believe so yeah herds pods and armies the best ones all have morality or at least the most quote-unquote intelligent ones. Because if you look at an ant kingdom, they're, I would say, advanced for a in the animal world, having soldiers, workers, complex structures. But I wouldn't say they're the most intelligent creatures in the world. And it's kind of a hive mind. I don't think at, ants have any sense of morality. I think morality is just solely a mammal-based genetic feature uh maybe octopuses i did not look into octopi that much but it just seems to be mammal based yeah i really didn't look into what other animals are aren't moral it's definitely super interesting but it doesn't surprise me that it's not only mammals intelligent animals but all some kind of tribal uh collection so that there's a community that needs to be protected. I think it arose out of an evolutionary need for to protect the tribe, the community as one, as opposed to being individualistic because your survival depends on everyone else's survival. So even if you get like a temporary boost from being selfish in the long term, the traits that will keep you alive are keeping the community alive. Oh, absolutely. And from what I saw, Nick, I don't know if you came across the same research, morals are pretty much genetics. Ethics, morals, they all come from your ancestors, from your parents. A genetic line. We can identify, I, 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 for lack of better words, good morals based on your DNA. And evidence shows that you are born with morals. As early as three months when, because obviously... A baby fresh out of the womb that can't really move or do anything that's kind of hard to 
figure out if they have any interactions. But as early as three months, they've shown that babies who baby they, they put three months year old in front of puppets. And one puppet was helping, was a nice character. Another puppet was a character who hindered another person. Immediately, the child could identify which one they wanted to be part of and would treat the two puppets differently. And it's a sense of morality of which one's good, which one's bad. And it seems like evolution has made us born with morals. It's not just society developed. Yeah, I think it's it is evolutionary too because people are kinder to people who look like them. Like this is just a the study is done. I was going to say humans don't like things that are different. Right. So, people who look like you, whether that be, you know, same skin color or who just dress like you, you're going to be more willing to help that person who has similarities with you than someone who looks different. And I think that stems from the fact that they look closer to you. They're more in your tribe, your uh, group, you know, so that you're going to show them more compassion because then you helping them is like helping yourself in a sense, evolutionary speaking. Yeah, I, since you brought up that topic point of helping yourself by helping others, I think it's important. This is, I don't have evidence for it, but to me it kind of makes sense that we have morals for also selfish reasons we help other people so we feel good about ourselves where health our mental health our physical health increases it's we're good people for a selfish reason because if we help them now they might help us later or if we help them now we might feel good our uh our chemicals in our brain might reduce more more uh, more chemicals so we're more happier and if you're happier you're usually healthier it interesting to me that that might be a reason why we still have morals today yeah that is interesting i mean everyone knows when you you know when you help someone you you feel good about yourself and maybe i kind of always thought that that was societal but i guess now it's it seems like it's more evolutionary trait than it's just like a society pressure kind of trait well in my mind, it's an evolutionary trait, but it is enforced and encouraged by societal pressure. So it amplifies it. But the reason why it confuses me so much where morals come from, because time and time again, for humans alone, I'm not talking about any other species right now, even though it's clearly present in species. When you're a quote-unquote an asshole or someone who's aggressive or someone who's trying to get their own way, that... The psychology trend is they get what they want. They're either more successful in the business world, they have higher paying jobs, they accomplish more. Being a being an asshole gets you more. So why in evolution would we want to sacrifice more? I would I don't see the pros for it. I can kind of see it on early early prehumanoid development where we need a tribe to stay alive, but I would definitely say morals have changed throughout the ages. So I'm wondering why, why being selfish is not more prevalent when it sows psychology-wise and just society-wise, it gets you more of what you want. So I think you're oversimplifying community. So 
I think a community that that person who's being an asshole isn't looking at those people and saying they're in my community. Um, I was reading that, I forget exactly where it was, but of the uh, like nomadic tribes and like natives, indigenous people to an area, males were like more, were had a 45% chance of being killed by uh, other humans, other tribes. And so I don't think we're inherently good to humans. I think we're inherently good to our tribe. Now, if your tribe is literally yourself and maybe like your family or your friends or something, those people on the street, a person behind the checkout counter, people driving in traffic, those aren't, that's not your tribe. That's an enemy tribe. And humans don't really have a problem with hurting other humans if they're not in their tribe. I, I agree with that statement, but let's just, let's just say at the, the modern office currently, you're all part of the same team but you want to be the best on that team or you want certain things. You might step on your fellow coworkers, your fellow, your your teammates. I mean, we've all seen pro athletes where they've kind of shoved their own teammates underneath the bus for their own glory. And they tend to get what they want because of it. Now, they might be frowned upon, but they still and society standards succeed. So I feel like that's very contradictive to morals. And it, it's, uh, it, it, I don't know, it just seems so, so weird to me how evolutionary it, it, that we developed that. Just the morality, and we kept it too, which is another surprising part to me. Because what, humans have been around for 70-ish thousand years? 170,000 years? It's we've been here a long time and our morals kind of haven't changed. Like, don't steal, don't kill indiscriminately, just the very fundamentals. Yeah, I, I, I but I think maybe it's ob- objectives, different objectives, right? So let's take the office for example. Um, uh, your objective for the, so the look at your objectives versus the office objectives, right? So you can be. A good team player for the office right you can work, do your work work extra whatever um, the objective of that office that community is being accomplished now if you're you know like uh, stepping over somebody's toes or something you're not re- I mean, it, it's I could see it both ways but I would say it's not like you're actively going against the objectives of the office it's more you're still, you know, you're still doing your job, but you're trying to establish a hierarchy. Like you're trying to establish your dominance over someone else's dominance so that you can make more money or whatever to provide food for your family, resources, goods, whatever. So is it, and I guess that gets into the question about motivation of why we do certain things, but what so what Mike? What is an example of like an officer say that a selfish thing runs out over somebody else? Let, let's kind of look look at one example. All right, let's just say uh, a car dealership. You have someone about to close a deal, and they go, "I'll be right back. I'm gonna go fill out some paperwork." And another guy comes in and goes, "Oh, look at this! I have the paperwork. I'll finish this out right for you," and signs his own name on it. So he gets that commission. 
he gets that recognition from the boss and he gets that bonus. It's still accomplishing of selling a car, but you're screwing over your other coworker. Granted, you could argue that they're kind of competing against each other, but it seems like you're sliding in. It's like almost like an animal sliding in to steal a mate. You're stealing food. You're stealing resources. You're stealing that contract. I would I would say that's selfishness, but it's kind of promoted because it seems to work out in societal favor to be selfishness, which kind of goes against why we evolutionary have morals. All right. but So let me know. I'm going to say an example of a situation. You tell me. I guess if not, if it's moral, but also if it's similar, so that those same group of people, instead of selling cars, it's like a tribe, and they're hunting an animal, and the one guy is about to kill the animal, but then the other guy kills it. Now they share, and, and it's not completely similar, because right, they're going to share the resource on that dead animal with each other, but I guess that sharing of resources would be the car dealership, you know, paying its employees in a sense, I guess. So, while yes, it is a temporary, you know, that guy might get more credit or something, but there's going to be another time when the other guy brings home the kill. And you need to share, you know, when you make a kill, you're going to share with everybody else. And then sometimes you're not going to be successful at your hunt, and those other hunters are going to share with you. So the objective's still been accomplished. Now, I guess it's not perfect, but... What do you think about that? If I could have a caveat to it, if we say the hunter who makes the kill gets the best part of the animal, like they get the liver, the heart, they get the one who makes the kill gets the king's portion, then I would say it's a lot more similar to the car dealership analogy. But at the end of the day, you're you're sneaking in, you're taking advantage of a situation to benefit yourself. And... You're doing it to get a king's ransom while your other tribe members are getting scraps. It's like um, like an early morning hunt. Someone might track an animal all the way, and at the last second you kill it, you let them do all the work just to sneak in at the end and get it. Seems, A, morally wrong, which is funny since we're talking about morality, but it seems like it's completely beneficial for that that person to be selfish. Now, you could make the argument for... That person who got cheated might try to seek revenge, might not like you anymore. But in my mind, I see it being, well, if you're not being the selfish one, you're being the more, quote-unquote, higher moral ground, you're probably going to be more docile. You might be uh, less on the hierarchy. You might not try to overthrow, take revenge, or capitalize the same way that person did to you. So it, to me, it's very contradicting selfishness and morality because selfishness selfishness is context. Selfishness is neither good nor bad, but it seems very beneficial for an individual to be selfish, especially in a high moral society. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, there's got to be some evolutionary trait for selfishness, right? I mean, it's pretty common. We all do it. Everyone has it. So I think maybe, like you're saying, it is in the context of, so maybe that hunter, you know, if he sneaks in and takes the kill, you know, one time or something, it's it's whatever. But if it's a regular occurrence, people are going to get upset. And then he might get kicked out of the tribe. So 
I think you kind of have to keep when in your when you're in a small community, right? Because that's why like communism only works with under fifty people. Like a small group of people can work together towards a common goal, but once you get over fifty people, there's too many people that it, it doesn't work just based on people are selfish. So maybe it's the smaller the community polices itself better against people who are selfish. And if you live in a community that polices itself better, you're not going to exhibit those selfish acts, which it would be, I guess it would, you're, it's, you're selfishly not being selfish to stay in that community. So I think selfishness is what your community allows. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I still think that the argument for you're a good person slash morality is for selfishness reasons. So you're doing it for yourself i i definitely think that's an attribute to it because again like you said nick it's everyone feels good after they've done something good for other people and i guess kind of transition since we are developed morals honing morals is completely based on your tribe and your societal stature uh i the higher up you are in the hierarchy the more your morals change the larger your tribe is the more your morals change even more like the communism perfect example small tribes it's easy to be good to those other people but when you have to be good to a larger scope with different backgrounds different ranges it's hard for everyone to get on the same moral pages i would say evolutionary wise we all have the base morality but as civilizations and cultures get more complex our morals change yeah, definitely. And uh, man, I'm kind of curious. So as society gets bigger, we have like taboos, things that you don't do. And a lot of these taboos generate disgust, right? And whether that be an evolutionary way of saying that something's bad or what, or whatever you want to call it, but many societies tend to have similar ones. One, and one like, um, like incest is frowned upon, right? Unless you're the royal family. <laughs> and that's because, you know, you people who did that, you'd have different mutations or whatever. But that's something that's generally accepted as people look on that with disgust, right? Now, is that morality or is that just human knowledge knowing that our genetic code will get messed up and we won't be able to continue to breed healthy babies and keep our species going i think i think it could be both right like that's fair yeah but i think there's certain things um you know that that we assign disgust to morally many people like uh like i said earlier the example of the rotting meat like that generates like a disgust um I don't know, You your mind is put in a place of disgust, right? And when people do that, they're actually judge people harsher. For So like if people are asked certain questions on the street to judge like someone's actions, they'll, you know, judge them a certain percentage of roughness, I guess you'd call it like a, of how they would judge that person. They wouldn't judge them as harshly. But then if they spray like foul spell, foul smelling spray, like a like a fart or rotting meat or something like that, then they're going to judge moral different people's actions a lot harsher, and so I think disgust 
in relation to certain things is an evolutionary trait. That's very interesting to me, how simply smell, and I assume other other traits of humans, so sight, taste, hearing, feel, would all tribute to how you judge someone, how your moral code, how your moral compass changes. That's really interesting. I've never thought about that or came across that. Yeah, I, I, I came across a lot of like what is discussed and, and what that does to us, which I never really thought about till now. So if you're ever in trouble, just wear a really nice perfume or cologne and you'll might get away with it. Yeah, if you ever get in trouble, don't fart, I guess is the takeaway. <laughs> it, if I might add on to that, I think all laws for humanity all stems from morals. I think laws come from morals. Like, it's illegal to steal. It's uh, it it's illegal to sell meat past its due date. I think all laws, some form or another, all stem for basic moral codes for humans. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's people are only enacting laws because they think it's going to help people and provide and should be something that should be regulated right in in their mind whether it's right or wrong not saying that every law is perfect but i think it does come from wherever your morality lies which to me kind of begs the question of well we have a base code morality and i don't know about you nick but my morals over the years have changed due to life experiences societal pressure etc etc so morals i would say are fluid and i would make the argument there is no hard line in the sand when it comes to morals sorry i was just thinking um no i i think you're right or yes yes i think you're right because and, and that's the thing with humans we can pretty much turn any situation we can change it around to justify our actions you know from like you know you know all sorts of murders and whatever people can find a way to justify it morally for the most part not saying that what they do is right but i think humans can turn pretty much anything around oh yeah i think morals are only subjugated to context like you say it's bad to kill someone well what if that person was trying to hurt your family or a guy was beating his wife so she killed him i mean that's still killing killing's bad but now that context has changed where we add new words to it it was self-defense it we it's the same thing just a different skin and all of a sudden our morals shift our our perspective on the situation changes it's all context like stealing if stealing's bad like Wall Street guys stealing millions of dollars. That's evil. Stealing, you know, a, a, a vehicle. That's Grand Theft Auto. That's, that's bad. Stealing for your family to eat. Well, that's stealing. And stealing's bad. But now it's, all of a sudden, it's changed simply because the context is more localized. It's less human suffering, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. You know, you can't, and that's, that's a tough one, right? Because you're stealing from someone else, but you're ending suffering on, on that end. 
And I guess, you know, you could expand it and say, well, why, you know, like whatever happens, say, well, why can't they get a job or something to support their family? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I guess if you're going to look at right in that moment, you know, you can understand and everyone can empathize with that person and say, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I would make a couple of statements. I would say one, empathy only lasts for so long. I think people's morals in the situation aren't, they're, they're defined. They only have a certain period that they'll put up with something until it's over, even though the situation might call for long-term morals. But I would also want to point out the fact that people's brains are different. Science has shown that criminal minds are different from an average law-abiding citizen. People have different brain structures, cause different morals, different codes. There's a spot in the brain, which I believe is called the God spot, which is where all your kind of sense of, not good, but your societal reasoning, your you're jumping through hoops of like, oh, this is this is okay because so-and-so did it. Or this is okay because, you know, I need this to eat. It's it's not a overall case for morality. It's a case-by-case case for morality. Like this God spot is a, is a major reason in the brain why we might have evolved to believe in God it, and, and to have religious beliefs and religious beliefs lead to morality and that those are tied and tied but it's different for human to human so can you blame a person for having a different moral code than someone else because they were born that way yeah i'm sorry i'm kind of talking all over the place but it's just weird to me how a human brain me and you nick completely different human brains yet we have Similar, but not the same moral codes. And yet we could make the argument, if I did something bad, you could judge me negatively for it, even though we're different individuals with different structures inside of ourselves. It's, to me, morals, I I don't understand how we could judge someone when it might not be up to them, like we said, with evolutionary and genetic traits. Okay, so once again, we are back to determinism. (laughs) It seems to be... a common theme for the past couple months, but yeah, I guess I guess we are. Let's let's go back to developing our morals. We all know that. Well, now we've established the base that we are genetically bred to have morals, but without a doubt, our morals change based on the climate, the structure, the tribe, our household, who our friends are. All those morals get altered because of those features. Now, can oh, well, I guess that comes back to determinism. Can we blame someone for having a rough childhood and that they come out and they have different weird morals? Or how much, how much does your upbringing change your societal morals? Because there are some people who had terrible, terrible childhoods, and they still turn out to be great, amazing, kind, warm people. Uh, is that just based on genetics? Is that just monkey see monkey don't do kind of situation i i'm i guess where do you see society fitting into moral development nick 
so I see society as kind of, so, so I'll give you an example, right? We'll look at an example. So say someone had like a bad childhood where, you know, they're, let's just say the uh, husband beat the wife in front of the kid, the child, right? Now in school and through movies and just general culture, you know, most likely that uh, that child would see that in all of society that that action is is not okay even if you know from his house right he he would see that it's okay because it's something that's done and then so you have two you're going to have two different kinds of actions in the future right now so that kid might go on to beat his wife or he might go on to never beat his wife right and so i'd say that what society is is kind of like the the rule setter right like society will will judge your actions and but establish the baseline so in a society we know that that's our society that you shouldn't beat your wife that's pretty obvious to most people you know in our society but that wasn't always the case and but it still happens right that's something that that happens regularly so i would say that society's role is kind of setting the rules and eventually weeding out the people who don't follow them. And especially like, you know, talking about like people who uh, like per- perpetuate domestic violence. We have to make it our society, you have to make your society a place where that's not tolerated at all so that it becomes selfish, selfish action to not beat your wife, right? Because if you do, you bad things will happen to you so much that that's becomes detrimental to yourself well i would say that depends on the time period because morally back in the day it was okay to beat your spouse and that has changed throughout the decades about the out the centuries so it's morals are i guess temporary just depends on your societal pressure because i imagine Tons of things that we do today will be considered, will be frowned upon, will be looked down upon, and we will be judged harshly for it, just like we judge our ancestors for it. So it's, to me, it, it morals on society base are also temporary. Granted, it's an entire person's life. It's generational, which is, is well, that's huge. <laughs> that's your entire life. But on a large human scale, it it seems like morals don't really change uh, morals change but humans just don't yeah and i think that that's always going to be the case um so like like when i said our like i said our society because yeah like you said in the past that that wasn't something and i think that our place in society allows us to make certain distinctions right so for us say the united states we have all these expirations and warnings on food and so a lot we throw out a lot of food because we can afford to whereas i'm sure there's other places in the world where they wouldn't be throwing out the excess food so to us our society we need to throw out that food to protect the uh the health right to stop the spread of disease like uh salmonella uh, and uh which is E. coli and stuff like that. Whereas 
other people probably look at us and say, morally, we're wrong for throwing out all that food. But what we're trying to do is protect our tribe. And like you're saying, I think you're definitely right that we are going to look, people are going to look back on us like we look back on uh, people in the past who had slaves, like uh, to us in America, right? That's so obviously wrong, yet back then it was not. And I will caveat that, that we look back and say that that's so obviously wrong, yet uh, like trafficking is still a huge issue in not just developing countries, but first world countries. But I think some things that we are going to be judged for, like we talked about previous episodes, Mike, owning sweatshop goods is going to be a big one. But I also think eating uh, animals is going to be one. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge meat eater, right? I, I love all the meats. All the meats are good. <laughs> so many jokes, so little but, time. Uh, I, I think in the future that that's going to be like, can you believe those assholes? Just just the way society's moving. Not personal beliefs, but I think that that's going to be one of the things that we get judged for. Oh, yeah. I, w- I would agree with that. But my question still is how... All right, so this, one, this one also bothers me. How do morals change throughout time? Why, why do societies, civilizations change over time their moral compasses? That to me is a huge hurdle to do, to change one person's compass, like to change like a racist to a non-racist. That's a huge undertaking. But an entire civilization, an entire well at this point species, how how has how have we accomplished that? How have we adapted and changed throughout the times to have our morals flexible, to have our morals change? I I don't understand outside features of how that can happen well i think our morals change in response to threats so we'll start with like a a hunter-gatherer tribe they're you know they if someone doesn't get a kill like you said you share the meat right and that's to because at some point you will be that guy who doesn't bring back meat and so to keep the tribe alive so your threat you're facing is starvation and we change our morals in response to threats, right? So, uh, like, and then look at, let's say, World War II. When we uh, started, the United States started rationing all this stuff. And, you know, morally, that wasn't the case where we lived, where it wasn't, uh, the objective wasn't to live as frugally as you could in the United States, right? But that became a value because all the goods are being sent overseas. We were trying to use as little resources in the United States as possible so that we could fight a war. So it became seen as virtuous to have grow your own garden, be self-sufficient, drive under the speed limit to conserve rubber and gas. Um, and now, like, let's see, right, uh, we're facing different things in the past. So right now, the big issue that people are talking about, climate change, right? And now... It's, you know, driving electric vehicles, whatever, all that is seen as virtuous, where in the past, you know, it was not, I don't know if virtuous, but the objective was to own like the nicest car and the status symbols. But now 
you know, it, the status symbol is like being green and whatever. Like it's uh, our, because that's our enemy, our threat. So our morals, I think morals change in response to threats to the tribe is what, what my guess is. I really like that. I think that is a huge factor in it. I never thought about it that way. But while you're explaining it, I couldn't help but think of Spartacus and the Romans, where Spartacus and his cohort started a rebellion which killed tons of Romans. So the Romans in, in change killed the slaves and crucified them along the road. And rather than treat the slaves more nicely to help prevent this, they doubled down and treated them more cruelly. And it seems like uh, you're doing the same thing morally to to prevent the same result. So you're doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. I I agree with the threat, but I don't think that's that's for only certain case scenarios. I would say that's bravo, Nick, on that thought process because that that one that that's a great idea, and I would love for a psychologist to study that. But I don't think that covers all the morality, and especially like something that's not a threat, like simply. Uh, let's just. I I don't think all morals come from threats. Like um, sharing with your sharing a cup of sugar with your neighbor. I mean, how is that threat? How I don't understand how that's a threat. Well, the it's not a threat exactly, but the threat is that when you need an egg, they're not going to share an egg because you wouldn't share sugar. So it's more selfishness. You're being a morally good person for selfishness. Yes, but also, yeah, it, I guess it would be selfish, but you, what you're doing is you're creating a community, which is important, especially in where you live, because if you get along with your neighbors, where you live is going to be a lot nicer. You know, you're going to have, you have that communication, you're going to watch out for each other, you might shovel each other's driveway, you might, you know, uh, you know, like you said, share a cup of sugar there, egg there, milk there. Because it is selfish, yes, you're getting something in return. But I think most selfless acts are inherently selfish in some way. Even if that feeling is just, even if that what you receive in return is just that feeling, people, you, I think you could, if you wanted to, boil every selfless act down to something selfish. That's very funny to me. That's, to me, ironic, but also it just that's just hilarious to me that you do good things because it's good for you. That's that seems very on par with what a human is. But isn't that the whole system of karma, right? You you do good things so that good things happen to you. Just sim I think I think the whole purpose of being a good person is simply to be a good person. Like I think that's the objective. But I don't think that's the principle. Like, hey, be a good person simply to be a good person. We've all been told that. Treat others how you want to be treated. The golden rule, et cetera, et cetera. But that's maybe not the reasoning why we do it. We may just call it by a different name, but at the end of the day, it's just for our own selfish goods. Yeah, so I guess now I'm kind of curious. What, what do you think are the reasons why we should be good people? Uh, it, to me, it just how I see it, how I think are two different things. How I see it is based on scientific evidence. You're to be a good people, to be a good person. 
is simply selfishness. It's simply so you fit into society better, you have a better maybe life because you're, you know, people like you, you're not more outgoing. It's uh, you might have more friends. More friends means more tribe members. You might meet it, it being good person is a selfish is a selfish act. So your life is better. That's how right now with the evidence. That's what I'm seeing. But at some, it might be just my DNA, my evolutionary code. But sometimes you just have to do what's right for everyone else. You have, sometimes you have to realize the bigger picture where it's not an individual base. It's a humanitarian base. Like what's the, what's the saying? When old men plant trees, society's good because they'll never see the shade. They know they'll never see the shade or something like that. It, when you do stuff thinking long-term, not for yourself but for others, to me that's, that's good, but that's so hard to do. I don't think humans can really think five years out in advance, but when you do that, it has echoes of effect. Like this might be a little bit early, but self-sacrifice. Soldiers who will jump on grenades to save their comrades. It's a selfish it's a unselfish act because they're sacrificing their life for their tribe members. You're not self-preservation, you're not getting anything in return, which is quite weird and an animal kingdom world of i mean protecting your young is one thing but protecting your entire tribe or running into a burning a burning building to save a stranger that's that's so weird on an animal kingdom evolutionary basis i don't know where those morals come from but that i would say is inherently good yeah i was thinking i was right before you got to that i was like man that's it is, you know, people, firefighters running into buildings is interesting, too, because a lot of the times, you know, one of the first things you do, your primary search is you, you get air, you have some, you kind of have a clue how many people are in there, depending on time of day, what the call, the reason, the, whoever called it in said, if they're the homeowner. But then a lot of times you, you get those victims out and yet you, you'll still fight the fire when there's no threat to life right all the the victims are out of the house it would be well i guess you could say it'd be safer to let the house burn but then you risk catching others houses on fire but you could easily just wet them down on the sides and and watch it so what is the you know what is it that makes humans risk their their life to protect the resources of another and obviously, um, you know, firefighters, they're, it's more important to protect your own life, right? Because if you go down, you put everyone else's life in danger, um, and then you go from having one victim to two, and it, it complicates everything and puts everyone else in inherent danger. So it's not like you're going to go in and completely, you're going to behave differently if there's a victim inside, or if there's resources, even though all the training that everyone does says to the contrary, that you're not supposed to risk your life for, you know, victims in certain circumstances, because like I said, it's inherently dangerous to the rest of your tribe. But it just seems like that's easier to say than to do, that humans are more than willing to risk their lives for, for others. Yeah, it's just 
the the act of self-sacrifice is so rare in the animal kingdom and i just find it so intriguing how humans i would say are the most advanced creatures on the planet have it like that's something i would say would contradict survival of a species there is one sort of animal kingdom i came across animal that i thought was very interesting and kind of ties into it it's a single-celled algae and when it's in a stressful environment and kind of knows it's going to die it commits suicide by like it has like a program for killing itself and the reason why it does that is to release its nutrients so it can be used by its relatives and like nearby species to help grow and possibly keep its species alive which I thought was interesting, but like nowadays, if as terrible as this is, if ten thousand people died, that'd make a a small dent into society of how many humans there are. Like the risk of losing our species is quite small on a small individual scale. So yet humans are still willing to self sacrifice. Is so weird and so intriguing to me because of all contradiction. Like humans will do amazing things to survive. They'll cross entire deserts where they're supposed to die they'll survive extreme environments they'll lift cars off like people they'll do crazy things but yet they're still laying willing to lay their life down for someone else is i have no idea how that evolutionary trait how that morale came to be no that is yeah that might be a whole episode in itself we should see i, I really didn't look into that but now i'm pretty curious of I do that. First off, Mike, I do want to congratulate you, belated congratulations, on being the first person to bring trees into this conversation. God damn it. Um, I do also want to say that, I don't know if this is exactly the same, but for perpetuating the species, like during a wildfire or some kind of event, a lot of trees, after they take a certain amount of damage, instead of focusing on repair and growing where they maybe or maybe not could survive, they'll instead use all their resources to generate seeds and cones to reproduce for the future, which isn't, it's still passing on your own genetics. It's not for others. So I guess it's a little bit different. Well, what I see for the, the, your tree with the pine cones and the algae is they already know they're dead. So might as well help someone else out of it. But if you're a healthy individual and thrust yourself into death to help strangers, that seems, that to me is like a tree falling on a beaver to, to help another tree survive it evolutionary doesn't make sense but yet we do it yeah i don't know that is that is crazy i never really thought about that in the context of self-sacrifice compared to other species i don't i don't really know of too many other species who do that that aren't like hive mind species yeah i for conscious smart animals it's it's so weird that that happens and it's also weird to me like how I mean, it's not weird to me because I do it, but we idolize heroes, like people who make the ultimate sacrifice, people who are willing to put their life on the line. We we put them on pedestals and we put them on these stages and we, we, we make them uh, gods among men because they are willing to sacrifice everything. I mean, even look at religions with Buddha and Jesus. They they sacrifice. They, they, they pay the ultimate price. They... They went through trials and tribulations or soldiers where they're trying to protect, quote unquote, people's freedoms. It's I mean, granted, you can make the argument that they're protecting our freedom. So they're helping the tribe. But 
on a smaller scale where they're willing to sacrifice for their brothers and sisters it's we we idolize that in society our morals align with making people who are willing to self-sacrifice heroes which again on an evolutionary scale it seems weird to do we idolize people who are willing to die which i'm for i mean i i'm very pro people who are willing to go above and beyond and help other people and who do selfish at to to who are willing to do the ultimate price to help people they're they're angels but on a science basis it's weird that we develop that and it's even weirder as a society we see them as heroes if you had to take a guess nick why do you think we idolize and heroize people willing to make self-sacrifices all right so first i want to say i I definitely think you're right and it i think it is evolutionary to do that right because like little kids besides dinosaurs also love like police officers and fire like that's why you have tv shows like paw patrol rescue heroes all that kind of stuff that was you know gi joe idolizing those kind of people and that that's you know they i guess you could say they were taught that by society but i feel like that's something that the kids want now my guess mike is that i have no evidence at all to back this up as a society or even as a tribe you need people like that to survive and so selfishly we not saying like we promote it. No, if I sound like a dick, let me know. Yeah, we promote it for the good of all of us, right? We want to celebrate those people to encourage people to do acts like that for the tribe. Because we all, like you said, we all benefit from these people going above and beyond doing things that most people don't want to do. So we re- we recognize them for their services because it without people like that, then our tribe would be wouldn't be safe, wouldn't be protected. And so in order to get people to do that job, because we all know it's not for the pay, then we need to add societal benefits uh, through how we view those people, I imagine. So I have two thoughts on it. One, I don't know if this is true. I'm just spitballing ideas out there. But we idolize heroes and do hero acts for maybe selfish reasons, maybe subconsciously. Maybe it's in our in our DNA that we're not even thinking about, but we do a selfish act to self-sacrifice so that we might be remembered. Uh, like that way, we beat our own death and morality. We, that way, we we're remembered throughout the ages in our tribe. Maybe I don't. I saying it out loud makes it less feasible, but maybe we do. Maybe we sacrifice ourselves for selfishness. I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing, but also begs the dip, begs the question. I imagine for your DNA, and since our ethics partly come from our DNA, that that strand, that genetic code of self sacrifice, would be prevalent in some people and not others. But I would imagine those people would slowly get weeded out because of self sacrifice, right? If you have if you have ten people. And one, and we'll say number seven, 
uh, has the DNA structure for self-sacrifice because some traits, they'll most likely die and not pass on their genetic tra trait to keep that line going. So it's interesting to me how we still have that trait in so many people uh, today in the world. But how many options or how many chances of self-sacrifice do you, do you really get? As society goes on, less and less. But I imagine in the beginning, there was probably a lot. Tons of wars. Like You might get a, some saber-toothed tiger coming after you. You probably have a lot of chances to die. And I imagine simply getting to the point where we have as many as we do, that's, that's amazing to me. I don't know how that genetic feature made it throughout the times of ages it did. Because what, humans at one point were around 100,000, 10,000 uh, humanoids. And let's say, let's say even half of them at that one point had that feature. That's still extremely impressive to make it through all the ages and all the wars, all the horrible times, all the famine, ice ages to make it to where we are now and keep that trait alive. Or even maybe it's not even a trait. Maybe it is, maybe it is learned. It's, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I do wonder if it is genetics. It, you, like you're saying, it does seem unlikely. There's also a lot of other genes that are unlikely to have survived yet are still here. Um, so I don't know if I can completely rule it out. Just a quick Google search didn't come up with anything for the genetics of self-sacrifice, just a psychology of self-sacrifice, but I didn't really look too much further. So I'm going to go with uh, societal. I think it's a societal pressure, not pressure, but something that's influenced because those people are seen as heroes, right? Which is something we all want to be. And like you talk about, we idolize those people. Or is it, you know, just the selfishness, that selflessness that humans have that other species don't? I, I don't know. Yeah, it is a puzzling question. The only major point I saw for morals and how they really kind of develop is something very simple, but yet so complex. That would be imagination. We can change the reality in our mind to fit what we want. So if we want a utopia, we can imagine it in our head and we might outact that in the real world, like picking up litters or uh, or self-sacrifice. We can play these imaginations in our heads and that could change how we act in the world. Like, I'm guilty of it where I've had a hypothetical argument with myself, like, oh, I, I will say this when he says that or I'll say this when she says that. Stuff like that gives me an imagination of how to handle a situation, how to act in a certain situation, how to compose and hold myself to a code in a certain situation. All right, so you're saying that you have hypothetical conversations in your head, but more often than not, you're ruled by societal rules and what you, what you will or won't say? Yes. I would say, because like, there are times where I want to say to people, go fuck yourself. But because I know I might have to see them again, interact with them again, or I know it's just simply not the quote-unquote right thing to do, I don't do it. I try to be 
less of a dick. But at the end of the day, I really just want to be like, go away. Yeah. And I think imagination might be a key feature for our our morals because we can imagine if we did something negative, what would happen to us, or if we imagine some, we did something good for someone, what would happen to us? Like we can imagine, oh, we helped this person with their vehicle. Turns out they were a billionaire and they gave us a million dollars. I mean, it's kind of an exaggerated scenario, but we can still imagine that, or we can imagine ourselves in their shoes like oh no i'm trapped on the side of the road oh look they're trapped on the side of the road if i was trapped on the side of the road like them i would want someone to help me i can i can imagine myself in their shoes i can use my imagination to feel how they feel i can use i can relate and imagine their emotions so i can show empathy for them so i can change my morals to help them but at the same time be like nah i don't want to risk it or Nah, I'm not feeling it today. It's it, it's quite interesting be, uh, to me, the imagination aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh man, I don't know. I'm I'm still can't get over yeah, like why humans self-sacrifice. I never really thought about it. And I was trying to do like going down the quick rabbit hole of self-sacrifice. Do you know that during the siege of Leningrad when everyone was starving to death, uh all the people at the uh, Pavlos seed bank that they were surrounded by like beans and stuff that they could shoot that they could eat and not starve to death. But instead they chose to not eat anything to preserve those seeds for future Russians. And they just starved to death surrounded by food for the good of everyone else. That's ridiculous. And also again, it comes down to context because there are times when society is well, we're in hell. And yet we're still having a moral compass, like you just said, which is ridiculous. Being, I can't, I can't imagine the temptation being surrounded by food when you're starving to death but not eating. And then at the same time, when shit hits the fan, there are people who rape, raid, pollute, do evil things. That's it's yeah. Even just think about based on the context. All the was it twice during the Cold War when ours one ours. Uh, missile system malfunction and said that we were about to be nuked by Russia and the same thing happened on their end and neither of us pulled the trigger because we knew well we were we were fucked and the human race will live on but if we nuke everyone else then everyone's dead and we just had to have faith yeah uh, or, yeah there was um, I think the story you're talking about is the guy in the Russian submarine who refused to launch a nuclear missile That it's Self-preservation at that point did not exist for him. He knew he would, during Cold War Soviet Russia, not have a good ending to not pulling the trigger, but not pulling the trigger saves probably all of civilization. Yeah, that's, man, I don't know. we might have to come back. This might be a whole other episode. Self-sacrifice, that is, that is crazy. Because <laughs> you're right, it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no... Well, Nick... I mean, I guess in that case, you know, there's a motive for not destroying the entire planet. Yeah, but... Per, I mean, it seemed like the guy's probably going to die either way. Yeah, it's it it's it's really fascinating to me how we somehow developed that. But, Nick, let me, let me ask you the telltale question that probably we all associate with morals. You're driving a... T- you're driving a... You're driving a train. 
you lost control of the brakes, and there's a wide track coming up. There are five people on one track and one person on the other. Do you turn the train into the one person or let the train go into the do the Well, obviously people? I'm going to go to the one person. And yes, you're going to change it up and say that that one person can cure cancer, I'm guessing. No, I was going to say either it's your one of your parents or it's a pregnant lady. Oh uh, yeah, those other people are fucked. Yeah, it it's amazing how you, yeah, you would willing to sacrifice one person for the good of five, but you change the context of who that one person is. It seems different. It, it's to me also it's a huge component of what you physically have to do. I was listening to a Harvard podcast on morality, and the professor put the quote of, "Well, you're on the side. You're seeing a train come down. You can push a really really fat person in front of the train and stop the train to save those five people. Would you do it?" And the amount of people in the classroom, opinions change versus going for the one for the five because now they have to physically, well, kill someone to save five. Oh, yeah. And then a similar thing where, yeah, but if if they just had to flip a switch to kill that one person to save the five, a lot more people would do that. But as soon as they have to actually put hands on another human being, it drops off. People don't want to do it. That is also very surprising surprising to me like the context of it of not wanting guilt not wanting responsibility that to me plays a huge fact in our morals of why we don't want to be in charge or make the decision but i can also see us not wanting to make the hard decision of not wanting conflict it to me that's a very interesting moral question again i think context is the biggest factor in morality yeah i i redid this similar thing in uh uh, so, some schooling when I was a little kid, but it was like, you know, you're on a boat and you can save like five people in the life raft. Like, who do you put in the life raft? And it was like, oh, everyone, you know, women and children first. Okay, but there's a guy, you know, and then it's like, well, then we can fit more. When you put like the younger, you know, the younger, so first the children, then the, the younger women, then the other women, then the younger men, then the older men. Well, there's a 65-year-old male who can cure cancer. So obviously you put him in. But then you have all these other things. It's like, do you have to value each life differently, right? And that's a And we, and everyone says we don't. If you ask someone, is human life all the same? I would say, yeah. But it's it's not based on the action. Like, I think it's been proven time and time again, people don't value all human life the same. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that. Oh, I, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. For like, I think the the biggest moral dilemma that we talk about in public schooling in the United States is dropping the bomb on Japan. Killed a lot of people, but saved a lot of American lives. Yeah. Uh, we, we killed a lot of innocents of a different tribe to protect our tribe, which is... A very difficult, which is a very difficult question to ask. And then just like you're saying, the context definitely changes because I have no, I'm just guessing here. So in my high school or uh, junior high, when we talked about this, it was about 50-50. Actually, I think more people wouldn't say that said that they wouldn't drop the bombs. But then my teacher was like, well, what if you were one of those Marines? And everyone's like, well, then there's a lot more people saying drop the bombs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, send someone else to combat, not me. Yeah, let's uh, let's just drop them bombs and uh, call it a day there. And then I'm curious if he had if then we had a class on the rape of Nanking, and then would we have then I feel like more even more people would have said okay, let's drop the bombs. So as you get more and more into it, the decision becomes I think more and more clear. You know, I mean, I definitely would have would have dropped the bomb out. There's no fucking way. I would want to go into Japan as as an American during World War II. That look at the the Battle of Iwo Jima, all right, and then you're gonna do that on mainland Japan. Are you are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm good. I'm with you, Nick. Uh, that that's just that's just throwing lives, throwing your tribe's lives away to save the other tribes non soldiers yeah and for a little context i guess i should go into detail so the the rape of nanking which which probably isn't a whole nother episode but uh the the japanese just slaughtered and did terrible things to to the chinese um there there is rapes there is gruesome experiments similar worse than the nazis in many cases and uh it, it was bad just I'm not going to go into detail here, but I think after after learning about that, I was like, "Oh yeah, drop you get you need to we got to get rid of that." Yeah, we need we need to stop that. But Nick, this is one of my uh favorite quick moral questions. You would agree that killing babies is bad, right? Uh yes, I'm I'm uh, not a fan of killing babies. You can actually put that on a record. Well, and now I think I know where you're going. Yeah. Now imagine you have both a baby Stalin and a baby Hitler in front of you. Do you kill them? It's bad to kill babies, but it's Stalin and Hitler. And so if I'm I'm looking at this purely as a uh, like life, right? You're taking one life to save millions. Uh, millions. Yes, I would kill baby Stalin and Hitler. But if I'm looking and but if I'm like looking at it as a time scale, right? Like if that doesn't happen, what does our society look like? I and I I don't know. I don't know if I would do that f- for that, right? Like would I stop? Like what if that prevented a bigger? I I guess I don't know if I would change want to change the fabric of time, because what if there is something worse, someone worse. All right, let me change Stalin it. or Hitler, and that prevented that from happening. Let but yes, it. if it was purely a life thing, I, I would have to, to to kill baby Stalin and baby Hitler. Well, let me add a little caveat to that. All right, we get really good at reading DNA. We can tell a person's morals, whether they be a good person or a bad person. And based on this this person's DNA that they were just born with, they will more than likely become a rapist and murderer. Do you kill that person? So I've also thought about this, and I, even though I have previously thought about it, I, I lean towards no. Now it, in, like let's talk about context. It depends on the percentage. You know, if you can get me a hundred percent chance, then yes. But even when it drops down to ninety, I'm more hesitant to say yes. I I'm with you there, Nick. If it's not if it's not above a ninety eight percent, I'm not doing it. Like a ninety-eight percent, that two percent is just—I'm guessing—error of some sort. Like some X out 
factor that we can't even imagine. But you got to give a person a chance. I truly believe humans can change, so I, I'm at least hopeful in that. But it's just weird how humans do mental gymnastics to come up with our morals, to come up with our ideas, our ideology, and our reasoning for what we choose. I mean, me and you both did it, and you, I mean, you did perfect examples of thinking about the future if you killed baby Hitler and baby Stalin. You were doing mental gymnastics, trying to figure out what would happen with different features. Is this the best Is this the best thing to do? Is this the worst thing to do? Is it this factor? Is it that factor? We, we do all these all these quick calculations in our head for morality and it's amazing the processing speed to me of the human brain to do morals yeah uh, it's and also i think i i mean we have no way of knowing this but i uh, uh we're gonna have to edit that out um how much time is spent just running over fake scenarios in our heads and i think that's us practicing our morality or i think that's part of it of like you talked about how many times have you randomly thought or me personally i'll think about like you said the genetics things we talked about the genetics predisposition towards violence i think about that randomly and about where i would say okay where i draw the line or not and it's not like it's not solid and like i said i do think a lot of, I guess, I don't know, societal pressure towards morality and change is influenced by outside threats. You know, it's easy for me not being, not being France, not being French during World War II to say, to sit here and debate about whether or not I would kill Hitler. I'm not under imminent threat, but I guarantee you every French citizen would, would have taken that up no matter what the consequences because i'm not under the threat that they were under it all comes down to context <laughs> but even though we you know as americans we think about it all the time we learn it in school uh, or someone says it even like during class i remember having this is a question that would go around like in the hallways and stuff as you're learning about you know the holocaust in school that people would ask that question in high school and it's like man i you know because you're even more young and dumb and idealistic at that point. So you're like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would, would kill a baby. Cause that seems pretty fucking harsh. But like you said, if it's purely a life thing, I think most people would do it. And I guarantee you every person who suffered under Hitler would do it. Like no question like that. They wouldn't even, they would never ask, well, would this prevent something worse in the future or whatever like we're thinking about? It would just be like, yeah, get rid of the threat, right? You made me think of something very interesting that kind of ties everything a bit together. You said, oh, I mean, and I agree with that killing a baby, we were all like, whoa, 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 whoa. But I would say also that extends to not even our own species. We're, as humans, are hesitant to kill baby of other species, but in nature with other animals with not having really any moral codes they kill babies of other species for survival constantly and it's very fascinating to me how our morality wants us to protect young of our species even if they're not part of our tribe 
I'm not sure if that's a recent evolutionary trait. I don't know if that happened post, pre-Industrial Revolution. I don't know when certain morals developed in history. That would be a very interesting book if someone wrote that, of when did this moral come to our society. But I have a thought. I don't have—this is just a random thought. I wonder if our uh, unwillingness to kill— young of other species stemmed from around the time we started domesticating cats and dogs Ooh, that is very interesting like well that could go back to selfishness of hey we know this is a young species a, a young animal if we wait to get older we might be able to domesticate it we might be able to eat it later when it's a full adult if we just let it go it might be a selfish region or yeah that's we... true not even just cats and dogs just uh like farm it like uh any domesticated animal we see the 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 young of those animals as something that can be molded to our needs yes and i'm i'm also curious on how cosmetics affect morality because i would i would make the argument that humans don't want to kill things that are cute and whether it be evolutionary or not that baby little kittens and puppies and they all look so adorable and cute i imagine that's got to be a reason why we don't kill them i'm wondering if like on an evolutionary scale other species developed cuteness as a survival mechanism against humans or i'm not quite sure how that came to be because even if you look at baby mice the amount of time people save baby mice even though in history they brought diseases plagues they've eaten grain they've they've caused tons of issues and negative towards that but yet we see them so young and vulnerable, we want to help them. I have no idea how that came as an evolutionary trait, but that's very curious to me. Okay, so here's a... I'll ask you a moral question. Would you kill a hundred puppies to prevent some sort of uh, terrible event? Could you be a little bit more specific on a uh, terrible event? Okay, so say if you kill a hundred puppies with your bare hands... You can prevent, uh, let's say, the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah. I'd say you probably you'd have to do it, but you would feel pretty fucked up about it, right? I mean, that's like, you know, it's it's almost easier to kill a human baby, a human baby, than a than a the baby puppy. It's projective innocence. I, I guess knowing that they haven't done anything wrong changes our morality, and also, I imagine doing something evil for greater good probably leads to high suicide rates i would imagine like this is like i imagine if i killed 100 puppies to stop the holocaust i would go through extreme bouts of depression possible suicide and i imagine that's the same for other people who do a little evil for a greater good i mean that's probably tied into our consciousness or morality or somehow like i'm not quite sure how to justify that to ourselves which is justifying to ourselves is a huge part of morality which i have no idea how that works yeah like yeah even though obviously i think everyone would would kill the puppies but man like that's got to be you feel really bad about killing those puppies and i'm sure a lot of people i'm i know people have done questionable things to for great goals right i mean History is littered with examples. 
there's things that we have done in the past that got us to where we are now that everyone would, would say are fucked up. But we need that. I mean, people need to go and do those things. And we judge them now, like I said, when we're not facing a threat. Like, it's really easy to make these judgments when we're not under threat. And go back and change the time frame. Even go back one generation, and their answers are good. It's not even a question. Two generations, and it's... It's obvious. It's absolute. I am so fascinated how morals change over time, and I definitely will be investigating that even more. I I really think it has a... I mean, like I said, no evidence. has a lot to do with what threats we're facing. I mean, what what do you think is our biggest threat right now, Mike, to the United States, our tribe? Um, well, I would say f- this is for all humans. I, I think this stems outside the United States. I would say either other humans or asteroids. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I would say that, and then our next biggest threat would be any kind of food shortage or resource scarcity. Like, I uh, forget who said it, but someone was like, uh, America is only ever three days from disintegration, three days with a without access to food, stuff like that. That it would start to devolve, and you know, I don't. I think that's a longer time scale than reality. But I think when, like I said, like a food shortage, like some, like the Irish potato famine, something comes through and messes up all of our crops. And we don't have food for everyone. Our tribe gets a lot smaller. Oh yeah, we're only able to have such a big tribe because we live in an excess and a surplus right now. And then obviously our morals will change. And so I would say, I not that that's an imminent threat we're facing, but I would say that that to me is our biggest threat. In that that happens, and pretty soon after that, Mad Max. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Nick, I think we covered quite a broad stroke of morals and it's it brought up more questions than it did answers that's for sure and for anyone listening i would love to hear your opinions on how you think morals develop in society how you think morals are molded by the time frame people are in and nick where could they tell us these answers to our questions you can find us on instagram and youtube and youtube is where all our sources will be can you find us on twitter you cannot find us on Twitter because Twitter does not have any morals. <laughs> Ugh. And out of curiosity, Nick, what book are you reading? I just started a book I'm super excited about called uh, Wayfinding, The Science and Mystery of How Humans Navigate the World. Ooh, ooh, I need to write that one down. That one has definitely sparked my curiosity. Yeah, what are you reading? I am reading Fountainhead still by... Anna Raid, she, she's definitely got her own writing style. I'm only a few chapters in, and it's a thick book, so the next few weeks, expect my answer to be the same. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. 
And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.